thankful to be here, thankful to see everybody. It's good to see everybody here. I'm going to ask you, uh, go ahead and open up your Bibles and turn to Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10. And I don't know if you remember the last time we were together, but we, we began talking about this scripture, and I wanted to try to finish up some of the thoughts that I wanted to share with you uh, concerning this scripture, because it is one of those scriptures, and there are, there are many scriptures that sometimes confuse us. Um, we could get five different preachers to preach on it and get something completely different, and you know we're constantly asking the Lord to, to reveal things to us. Hopefully when you read Scripture and, and hopefully when I read Scripture, what I'm asking the Holy Spirit to do is to reveal truth to me, uh, not truth as I want it to be, not truth as I think it would be most comfortable for me, but the truth that He wants me to see, and uh, which, is, which is the truth we need. Amen? Amen. All right. So... Um, I pray that everybody's feeling well this morning. Uh, I know we've got quite a few here that have had a pretty rough couple of weeks. And uh, I've, I've heard uh, phrases like, I never felt so bad. I never thought I'd ever feel like this. And I hope I never feel like this again. And I'm so glad that I'm on this side of it. And uh, we're so thankful to see you here. Grateful that things didn't get any worse than they did. Uh, God has been good to us. Amen. God has been really, really good to us. He has been and he will be. So we can always count on that. But looking at Hebrews chapter 10 this morning and just kind of running through just a few thoughts about what we spoke about several weeks ago when we were together. We were talking about how when we sin and we all sin and we are saved, we are Christians. The Bible, the Bible refers to us as saints. But we continue to sin because we live in a fallen world and we have yet to reach that place where there is no sin uh, and we are in His presence and we never have to be concerned about sin again. And who's looking forward to that? Yes, we are. Amen. Looking forward to that. But we do sin. And so what does the saint who sins, what does that person do? What is the response to that? Well, the normal response is we understand that God has given us commands in the Bible and we do our best and try to obey them. But still we sin and so we feel like we owe God again. And so we get down on our knees and we're begging for forgiveness and then we get up and we dust ourselves off and we say we're going to try harder next time. And then we walk away and what do we do in short time? We sin again, don't we? And what's that do to a person? What does that do to your mind? What does that do to you as you sit down and really think about it? Okay, I feel like I shouldn't be doing this. I know that it's wrong. It's like I can't help myself. And then I just keep running back and telling God I'm not going to do it anymore. And then I do it again. And then what am I supposed to do with that? And there's several different ways you can go with it. Unfortunately, for a lot of people, guilt sets in. And sometimes that guilt is so impactful and so powerful that you feel like the only thing you can do is separate yourself from people who may find out that you sin like that or may see you sin like that and, and just separate yourself and 
Scripture later on that we're going to read today tells us how dangerous that is to do. I mean, how many of our of our members, how many of us even at times have stayed away from church because we just we just felt so guilty? How can we stand in a church and sing, my God is good and thank you for forgiveness. And yet I'm I'm sinning the way that I'm sinning. How do you resolve that? And that is such a struggle, isn't it? And that's that's a struggle that God wants to help us with and help us to get a good perspective on. But it's also a struggle that our enemy wants to use to cause you to feel defeated and make you feel like you're youthless and worthless. I'm, I'm talking like I'm toothless. But, you know, makes makes you makes he wants to make you feel worthless. And why bother? Why bother? Why go to church? Why be a part of a congregation? So that's the struggle that we have. And so Hebrews comes along and we we read through these verses uh, some things that that we need to know about our relationship to God, because our relationship is more than just uh, he died to save me from my sins. He died to pay for my sins. He died so that I can go to heaven. You know, that's big, big stuff. So important stuff. And it's very true. But did you also realize that he died so that he could help you on a moment by moment basis to help you to see how he sees you now and to help you to see who you are now in Christ? Because sometimes you can ask a Christian if they're saved and going to heaven and because of the guilt and shame that they feel because of what's going on in their life, they may have a little hesitation in their answer. And they may come back and say something like, I think so. When Scripture tells us that these things have been written down so that we may know that we have eternal life. See, grab hold of truth, church, William. Grab hold of truth and see yourself the way that God wants you to see yourself. And, and that's the, the whole point of Scripture, for us to see who God is and then for us to see who we are in Him. And I'm so thankful that it's there, but sometimes we skim the surface and we miss stuff totally. So we see in the first four verses, we're not going to read those again, but we, we talked about how animal sacrifices, which was the old way of taking care of sin, animal sacrifices cannot take away sin what animal sacrifices do is they remind us of sin. If it were a, an acceptable sacrifice for our sin, then it would have been done once and it wouldn't have needed to be done again. But it was done over and over and over again. So we see that. And the Hebrew people liked that because it's something they could see, it's something they could do, it's something they could touch, it's something that they could feel, and they liked that. Just like when we are acting like good little Christians and doing our thing, then we feel good about that and we feel like God likes that. I've been good today. I've only cussed twice and I've only stolen once and that's better than my usual record. So God must be happy with me. And so we like the, the, the feeling that we get when we feel like we're pleasing the Lord, but then a sin comes along and knocks us back down, and we've got to go back and ask for more of what we've already been given. And so God wants us to see that there's something better even than that. And so he goes on to say in verses 5 through 10 that it is obedience and not sacrifice 
that wins God's approval. It is obedience and not sacrifice that wins God's approval. See, obedience is always what God wanted. But we couldn't obey God, so that's why sacrifices came about. And the sacrifice, what it was actually doing was pointing the way to the Messiah, pointing the way to Jesus, that once-for-all sacrifice that would take care of all sin forever. That sounds good, doesn't it? It sounds to me like if that were the case, then everybody would be ready to jump on board with that because they understood the system of sacrifice. They understood what it was for. But wouldn't it be great if there was a sacrifice that was made once for all sin where no more sacrifice had to be made? And so then in verses 11 14, through 14, we see that. We see a once, a one offering, once made offering for all time. And that scripture tells us that by a single offering, he has perfected for all time. And we see that word perfect. And, and what it does to us is it makes us feel like, well, I gotta, I've got to be perfect. And that means that everything I do has got to be just right which can lead to all sorts of problems in our understanding of who we are and our acceptance of who we are and our understanding of what other people think about us. But it says here that by a single offering, he has perfected for all time. Perfect means to complete. So Jesus completes in us what has been lacking. Amen. Amen. Jesus completes in us what has been lacking and it's for all time for all time so what that means is i can stop trying to be perfect i don't have to be perfect amen it also doesn't mean that i can just go out and live my life any old way because since i don't have to be perfect i can be as imperfect as i want to be that's not what it's saying either but it's saying that what he has done has he has completed us you know, we like to say to our significant other, I'm sure I can see Barbara telling Tony, Tony, you complete me. And I can see Tony reciprocating that. Amen? And the rest of you the same way. It got real quiet there. I started to get a little worried. But who, who really completes us? Jesus. He completes us. And he completes what is lacking in me. And he completes what is lacking in all of us. So then we get to verse, verses uh, number 15. We're going to read. We're going to start reading there in verse number 15 of Hebrews chapter 10. And here we're going to see that obedience has actually been wired into us. Obedience has actually been wired into each and every believer. Even those of you and, and myself who feel like we don't do anything right and don't do anything for God that he's pleased with. So let's look at verse number 15, excuse me, 15. Words are coming out that I'm not intending to come out today. Whereof the Holy Ghost also is a witness to us, for after that he had said before, this is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, saith the Lord. I will put my laws into their hearts, and in their minds will I write them. And their sins and iniquities, oh, listen to this. Their sins and iniquities I will remember no more. Now where remission of these is, now where remission of these is, there is no more offering for sin. 
because I remember them no more. So here we understand and we get this idea from from Jeremiah 31. Also, we see it in chapter eight of Hebrews. We see this idea that we've got a, a heart transplant. We have a new heart that wants to obey God, that wants to please God. And that's something we need to understand right now. You know, we hear and this was, this will be something maybe we can deal with on another Sunday. My heart is desperately wicked. Who can know it? Which is contrary to th- this. I've got a new heart that loves the Lord and wants to obey the Lord. So what which is it? Which is it? And which which of these phrases is speaking about the born again believer? So here it says that we have been pretty much hardwired to obey the Lord and, and to please God. Micah, and then Micah seven nineteen helps us with that forgetting our sins thing when he says you will ca- he's going to cast all our sins into the depths of the sea. So we're here. This is good, 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 good stuff. And if this is the stuff that we need to remind ourselves of to help us to respect the blood of Jesus Christ and what the blood accomplished for us on the cross 2,000 years ago, once for all. But there is an option for each person. We can accept this or we can reject it, right? And that's what happens, and we see, uh, we'll see that later on, but in verses 19 through 25, what he's trying to tell us is, so don't, don't feel guilty but instead draw near by his faithfulness. So let's look at verse number 19. Having therefore, brethren, boldness to enter into the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way which he hath consecrated for us through the veil, that is to say, his flesh, and having an high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water, let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering, for he is faithful that promised. And let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another and so much the more as ye see the day approaching so it wasn't until jesus christ gave his life on the cross it wasn't until his flesh was torn on the cross until it wasn't until then that we it was then that we were able to go through and enter into the holy of holies and into the very presence of god because it was then that we could be forgiven and washed our sins taken away forever made complete or perfected using biblical language for all time. So what this is telling us is that we can come to God with confidence, not guilt. We can come to God with joy and not sorrow. Have you ever considered that? We're always coming to God with guilt and sorrow. But have you ever thought about coming to God with confidence and joy Thank you, God, for what you have done in my life because you have made me complete 
and you have done in me what no one else could do not even myself as hard as I worked and as perfect as I tried to be could I do what you have done in me and yet we are we are guilt-ridden people there is a godly sorrow that you will feel when you sin and it's an understanding that you have gone against what God wants for you and that godly sorrow is there because you have a heart that wants to obey and do the things that God wants you to do but I wonder how many of us how many of our people how many people in God's family all over the world have allowed guilt to cause them to simply stop coming, stop serving, and stop worshiping. And they've been burned by the church and they're so laden with guilt that they can't face other believers. When church should be a place where we can come and and feel safe and feel apart because we're all the same. You know, we are all the same. We all need Him. Maybe most of us, if not all of us, have accepted Him. And then on the other side of that, we are still making mistakes and need to understand what, where we stand uh, in relationship with God when that happens. But when believers are separated, when people choose not to come, they're going to get attacked with guilt by the enemy. And he will use that to further divide and separate people. But when we come together, as we have come together this morning, and any Sunday morning, and any Sunday night, and any Wednesday night, it should not be to make each other feel bad. We should not come with the thought, I know what so-and-so did, and when I get to church, I'm going to tell so-and-so and so-and-so and let them know because people need to know about this. You know, sometimes we feel so empowered to do something like that, but it's so against what God wants us to do. Instead, what we should do when we come together, we should celebrate the good that Jesus has done and the good that Jesus is doing in you. He is doing a work in you. As His child, He is doing a work in you and through you. He is. And we need to celebrate that. It's something, something certainly worth celebrating. And all of this should be even more so, it said there at the end, as the day of the Lord's return draws near. And boy, does it not feel like that time is coming. How many of you feel that in your spirit? How many of you feel like it just seems any minute, any day, he could come. And what he wants to find when he comes is us in an active relationship with each other, but also certainly in an active relationship with him. And everything that he ever said can be summed up in four words, basically. Love God, love others. Love God, love others. All good stuff. Good, good, good. Anybody should want this. Anybody should be willing to sign up for this. But then we come to verses 26 through 31, and we see that even after hearing the gospel, some decide to reject it. And when they reject the gospel, they become an enemy of God. Listen to this. Verse 26. For if we sin willfully 
after that we have received the knowledge of the truth, there remaineth no more sacrifice for sins, but a certain fearful looking for of judgment and fiery indignation, which shall devour the adversaries. He that despised Moses' law died without mercy under two or three witnesses. Of how much sore punishment suppose ye shall he be thought worthy who hath trodden under foot the Son of God and hath counted the blood of the covenant wherewith he was sanctified an unholy thing and hath done despite and hath done despite unto the Spirit of grace or insulted the Spirit of grace. For we know him that hath said, Vengeance, vengeance belongeth unto me, I will recompense, saith the Lord. And again, the Lord shall judge his people. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. So what we're seeing here is if, like the Hebrew people uh, were contemplating, if we have a knowledge of the truth and we ignore that knowledge, then all that we have to look forward to is God's eternal judgment. If we choose to ignore that. See, the problem with the Hebrews is they lacked confidence in Christ. They lacked confidence in salvation through Jesus Christ. So since there was no confidence there, the only thing they could be confident in was eternal judgment. That's all there was. Now this section, this section that we just read, starts with that statement, if we go on willfully sinning. If we go on sinning willfully. And I ask you this question. Isn't every sin that we commit willful? Isn't our will involved in every sin? We don't accidentally sin. We choose to sin. And we sin every single day. And so it might be easy for us to see a passage of Scripture like this. And we might think, well, I'm doubting my eternal security because of what I'm reading here. Because some people see it as saying that we can out the grace of God and that eventually the blood is going to run out. And that's where, where people are in error and make a mistake. Because if you study the book of Hebrews, you'll see in the first ten chapters of Hebrews the sin that is mentioned over and over and over again is the sin of unbelief. That is the sin that's mentioned. That is the sin that's dealt with. Unbelief. So when the writer says if we deliberately keep on sinning, what he's actually saying is if we deliberately keep on unbelieving. Unbelieving. He associates evil with unbelief. Way back in chapter 3 and chapter uh, in verses 17 through 19, sinning and disobedience are equated with unbelief. So unbelief is a big, big deal, isn't it, church? It's a big deal. It's a problem. Now, I want you to remember the, the struggle that the Jewish people had versus the struggle that the Gentile people had. Now, the Gentiles, who were the non-Jewish people, the Gentiles came from a pagan culture full of depravity, evil, wicked things. That's, that was the history of the Gentile people. But the Jewish people, their history was 
God's law and waiting for the Messiah. That was the emphasis for, that, for them, and, and that was their history. But then Jesus came along, and then the Jewish struggle became not so much with sinful deeds, but with rejecting Jesus as the Messiah. That became the big issue. That's why the book of Hebrews is so unique. You know, you got the book of Corinthians, you got the book of Galatians, you got the book of Ephesians. These books are dealing with Gentile behavior. But Hebrews is treating the sin of unbelief. And we see as we study Hebrews that Jesus was a stumbling block for the Jewish people. And what he's doing is he's urging those, those that are listening and those that are reading not to repeat the same mistake of unbelief that they made when they were supposed to enter into the promised land. The promised land was theirs, right? But they didn't, they didn't believe that they could accept it, and they didn't believe it was theirs. They didn't believe that they could take it. He's saying to them, don't make the same mistake that you made back then. Don't make that same mistake now. Don't doubt the message of Jesus Christ. And in saying that to them, he says it to us and anybody else that reads this chapter of Scripture. Don't, don't disregard the message of Jesus Christ. Don't doubt that Jesus is the Messiah. So Hebrews chapter 10, verse 26 it says that after receiving the knowledge of truth, after receiving the knowledge of truth. So when you hear truth, church, when you hear a truth, what, what do you, how do you respond to that? You can respond one of two ways. You can accept that truth or you can what? Reject it. You can accept it or you can reject it. So let's paraphrase Hebrews chapter 10, verse 26. Here's what it's saying. If any one of us hears the message of Jesus and then deliberately chooses not to believe it, we will not find any satisfying sacrifice for sin outside of Christ. In fact, we'll only encounter judgment and punishment because we've made ourselves an enemy of God. And so we see here, this is a warning. This is a warning to all who will hear that if you outright reject the gospel message itself, you will not find forgiveness anywhere else outside of Christ because forgiveness can only be found in Christ Jesus. And what kind of forgiveness? A partial, a halfway, a don't wear it all out kind of forgiveness or a total forgiveness? That's where we have to come to terms. Is it something that I have to keep getting more of or is it something that I have all that I need and it, it's good forever? And we, need to see, we begin to see things maybe a little differently when we think of it that way. And we need to respect, I say this again, we need to respect the blood of Jesus Christ and what it accomplished for us on the cross at Calvary. Do I respect it? Do we respect it? Or do we need to continue to seek more of what we already have? Hebrews chapter 10 has been used all over and over again to support that believers can forfeit their salvation by sinning too much. But what we really see here is, is the warning against the sin of unbelief. And isn't that what we know to be true today? 
the one decision, the most important decision that I can make and that you can make is to accept Jesus Christ as a personal Savior for forgiveness of sin and for eternal life. That is the decision that we need to make. If we accept it, then we're good to go. If we reject it, then there is nothing but judgment and eternal torment. And there it is in a nutshell. You can, you can say, you can add and, and take away all the extras around it, but the bottom line is you either accept it or you reject it. And that's what was going on. There was a rejection. There was unbelief. And that was what was being dealt with here. And here's the, here's the deal. Many Hebrews would continue to hear the gospel message but they would refuse to believe. And the scripture says that they made themselves enemies of God and that they could expect punishment. But here's, the, here's what he says is the fate of the genuine believer who we all want to count ourselves in that group. Our fate is totally different because, and this is why, we are not of those who shrink back to destruction, but we are of those who have faith to the preserving of our souls to the preserving of our souls. So what our focus should be on in our relationship with Jesus Christ and in talking with Him is thanking Him for securing ourselves in Him. Thank you for completing in me what was lacking. Thank you for doing what you did for me and in me. And thank you that you did it once for all, that it sticks and that you have taken away my sin once for all. That's, that should be a part of our conversation with God. Every time we have an opportunity to talk with Him. And here, here's something that will eventually find its way into our thinking. We're going to doubt our forgiveness sometimes. We're going to. But we've got to remember to respect the blood of Jesus Christ and remember what he has done for us. And this is how the writer of Hebrews finishes his chapter by reminding them of some things that happened early on in their experience. And he used this to kind of help them understand that they were true believers. In verses 32 through 39, he tells them, don't look so much at the hardship you're going through right now and don't we say that to ourselves as well? Haven't we been talking about this? Don't look so much to what you're going through now, but look toward the reward that's coming. Look towards the reward that is coming. Look at verse number 32. But call to remembrance the former days in which after ye were illuminated or enlightened, ye endured a great fight of afflictions, partly whilst ye were made a gazing stock both by reproaches and afflictions. In other words, they were publicly exposed to reproaches and afflictions. And partly while she became companions of them that were so used. For ye had compassion of me and my bonds and took joyfully the spoiling of your goods, knowing in yourselves that ye have in heaven a better and an enduring substance. Cast not away, therefore, your confidence, which hath great recompense of reward, for ye have need of patience, that after ye have done the will of God, ye might receive the promise. For yet a little while, and he that shall come will come and will not tarry. Now the just shall live by faith. 
But if any man draw back, my soul shall have no pleasure in him. But we are not of them who draw back unto perdition, but of them that believe to the saving of the soul. So there will be some who hear and and have received the knowledge of truth and understand it, but choose to reject it. But you are not of those people. You are the ones uh, who believe to the saving of the soul. So he's saying here to them, your faith really is genuine and I can prove it by the way that you reacted early on because you endured struggles early on and the struggle was worth it then and the struggle is worth it now. And God says to you and me, the struggle was worth it then and the struggle is worth it now because we have a great reward, something great that is awaiting us. And we're not of those who fall back and are repelled from giving our lives to Jesus. We are true believers. And he knew it. And he wanted them to be convinced as well. So the whole point here, I I believe, is you can either choose to believe and receive a great reward, not just in the future, but even right now. Or you can choose to reject and you can look forward to eternal punishment because there is no forgiveness anywhere else other than in Jesus Christ. And that's good news for us because the only reason we come to this place, the only reason we come together, the only reason we get up and sing these songs together and pray in faith and fellowship with one another is because of Jesus Christ and what He has done in our lives. And we need to remember this. We need to remember this when we have an opportunity to sin. We need to remember that He has given us a heart that doesn't want to sin, and we know we don't want to do it. And so we call upon the Holy Spirit for strength because that's where our strength comes from, and we choose not to sin. But in our frailty, And in our humanity and in this fallen world that we live in, we are going to mess up. I'm going to mess up. You're going to mess up. And sometimes we're going to mess up so bad that we begin to doubt things that we should know for sure. And the enemy is going to work it in any way he can to make you doubt it. But here's what you do. Here's what I do when I know that I've messed up. When I know that I'm going to start to feel guilty and 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 maybe for days and weeks is I go to the Lord and I agree with him that what I did was wrong I confess that to him God yet I chose to do it anyway and I am sorry I have a sorrow for that and I want to turn from that and repent from that. And the next time I have an opportunity to do this thing or anything like it, I I want to turn from that. And God, I thank you that what I have done and the thoughts that I had while I was doing it and even thoughts that I may have in the future of doing it again will never negate or take away in any way what you have done in my life. Nothing will ever change that because it is a forever thing. God did not save us so that we can walk through this life hoping 
against all hope that we are saved and going to heaven. That's not why he saved you. It is for freedom that he has set you free. Amen? For freedom. So live free. Yes, you will mess up. And I will mess up. And when you mess up, I will not go, shame on you. Get out of the congregation. Leave this place until you have gone out here and, and punished yourself enough that you're not ever going to do it again. But I'm going to come along beside of you and I'm going to say, brother, sister, let me tell you how I messed up this week. And so let's pray together that when we have an opportunity to do these things again, we remember how we felt. We remember the sacrifice that Jesus died for that sin. And let that be what empowers us not to do this again. By His strength and by His power, because my strength and my power is not enough. But His is, and He knew it, so He gave it to us. So live victoriously because you are victorious. We're living through, we're living in a pandemic and we're living in unsure uh, political environment. And we hear things that are going on and we, we think about wars and rumors of wars and pestilence and end times. And, and what, what should be going through our minds is what he said even more so as the day of Jesus appears not to forsake the assembling of yourselves together. Isn't that what this pandemic is trying to do to cause us to forsake the assembling of ourselves together? Does that mean that we come together and we just spread our germs all over each other? No, we are cleaning. We are sanitizing and, and disinfecting this church, you know, after services. And we have moved the rows apart. And wear your mask, please, if you feel comfortable doing that. And social distance. But you know what? I'm still going to do what God wants me to do, no matter what this pandemic says. I'm not going to go against the, what, what's being recommended just to go against it and, and, and just to say, nah, nah, nah. I'm not going to do what you say. But God is my, God is my king. God is my ruler. And I will listen to what he says. And he will protect us. He will protect me. And more than protecting me from getting COVID again, he is protecting me from an eternity in hell because he has died so that I can be assured of forgiveness and that I can be assured of heaven and that I can be assured that I am free. I am free. Free from sin. Free from shame. Free from guilt. Now, here's what will happen. As I go to God and I, and, I, and I confess these sins and I agree that I messed up, there will be consequences a lot of times to what I have done. And he will use even those consequences to fine-tune who I am to be more like him. He will take whatever it is and he will work it out for good. And that includes consequences of the sins that we commit. But the beauty of it all is that I don't necessarily focus so much on the trouble that I'm going through right now, but I look forward to the day when I don't have to worry about consequences of sin anymore because I don't have to worry about sin anymore. I won't be, I won't be sinning anymore because I'll be in heaven where there is no sin. And that's going to be a great time, church. So let's remember what Christ has done for us and what that means for us. 
And let's not be worried about losing anything that God does because what God does sticks. And it's forever. That's just the way our God is. 